it's again to, to me it's it's a work in progress and um, you know our job is to, to continue to build and progress and get better and improve and when you see a half, a half like the first half that we played it certainly is a, a marker that we're getting better and we're improving Here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebi Salazar for episode 294 of this show on October 19th, 2023. Hercules Gomez, what a kit you're wearing out there on the West Coast. Yeah, Walk hopefully they it. get better. See that? A little something right there. You can't even spell Versace. That's right. No, I can't. F-O-Sachi. That's my man. That's <laughs> All right. my man. That is a... That is a callback from uh, way back in the day yes, sir. on a particular Friday if you're, uh, if you're of a particular age. All right, Herc, we got a lot to get to in this show. It's a bracket buster edition of Football Americas. we got USL and NWSL playoffs starting this weekend, so we're going to do our best to fill out those brackets. We've got a preview of Decision Day in Major League Soccer. Luchi Gonzalez, the manager of the San Jose Earthquakes, going to join us in just a few minutes. Plus, we'll be taking a look back at Mexico's draw against Germany on Tuesday in Philadelphia. But Herc, we will begin this episode of Football Americas with the U.S. men's national team in Nashville on Tuesday, taking on Ghana. Christian Pulisic, as we've seen him before, rocking the captain's armband, Gio Reyna, rocking the blonde hair. And early on, Valerian Balogun with a chance straight at the Ghanaian goal. He's going to want that one back. It's a clear-cut chance. Mm, doesn't hit it right. Tenth minute, another chance for the U.S. Gio Reyna hits this right, one nothing. Yeah, but this is what Flo does so well. His movement, and then he whips this across hard. The face of goal, Ghanaian defender leaves in the path of Giovanni Reyna, who does not miss. U.S. looking for more. Tim Weah into the penalty area and rather foolishly chopped down here, Herc. Very foolishly. Uh, Timothy Weah dribbling instead of uh, running past somebody right there, draws a PK, and then Christian Pulisic himself right down the middle. That hot streak continues. 2-0 U.S. after Pulisic converts from the spot. Three minutes later, Ghana trying to play out of the back. It does not go well. Balogun the turn and the finish. I actually think Timmy Way is trying to find Christian Pulisic here because uh, it's kind of played behind Balo. But look at this sweet little spin from Balogun and just roofs it. U.S. up 3-0. 31st minute. Another chance for Balogun. This one saved. Yeah, another clean look for Balogun. And look, again, just time and space. And Christian Pulisic puts it in. I don't know what's going on here. You can't just sit on the ball. It's going to be called indirect <laughs> free kick. Like, I have no idea what the Ghanaian defender is doing. Farland Balogun, rightfully so, calls for indirect free kick. And then Gio Reyna is going to step up. That's right. U.S. knew what they were doing with this set piece. A little trickery and rain into the back of the net for his brace. Yeah, oftentimes this type of play, you see it roofed and just, you know, Rosie in the stands. In step, roofs it, and they can't do anything about it. 4 nothing before the 40th minute. Matt Turner wasn't in action very often, but how about this save, Herc? This is so difficult. The degree of difficulty to not be in action and get a ball that's deflected and to still have the attention span to do that. Lots of changes in the second half. Weston McKinney here working the combo with Dest on the far side. Almost bends it in the near post. Yeah, he wanted that one. It's a good shot, just not enough. In the 65th minute, Leonard Maloney onto the pitch, making his first international appearance. The 60th player 
to appear under Greg Berhalter. 72nd minute, Christopher Lund, another dual national with a chance, sir. Yeah, showing us why he's a lefty. Uh, but involved, <laughs> involved. And why he's a defender as well. U.S. wins 4-0. Here's Greg Berhalter after the, after the game. Can you take away much from a match where you were up 3-0 22 minutes in? And, and if so, what were the main takeaways that you saw from tonight? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because if we would have scored three goals late, the question would have been, you know, why are we leaving late? Why are we scoring late goals, you know? So to me, of course, you, you need to be professional and you need to win these games, and we did that. And, and that's the important thing. Um, you know, Ghana, Ghana has a ton of talent. Um, when you look at the roster, you know, they have Champions League players, Premier League players, and it, it's a strong roster. So you, you have to be able to beat the teams that you face. And, um, you know, the fact that we did it early was good. The, the one disappointment, I would say, would, would be when we made the six changes. Um, you know, we didn't get a similar type of impact that we would have liked. And um, that's a little bit disappointing, but I have to say our, our solutions have done a great job in these last four games and, and um, even going back to Nations League. They've been really good coming off the bench, and tonight just wasn't a night for them. Kirk, the question to Greg Berhalter, what can you take from a blowout win? What did you take from the big victory over Ghana? It's funny because if you look at it, let's bring Germany to the equation where the second half versus Germany was the worst 45 minutes that I've seen from Greg Berhalter's U.S. men's national tenure to the first half against Ghana, which is the best 45 minutes I've seen in Greg Berhalter's U.S. men's national tenure. So the ability to switch off a bad performance in the same window and say we need to move on to the next and not only get better but get superiorly better than you've done in the past you can see the numbers that's what i take away for as young as this team is they're coming into their own a mistake versus germany yes in big part to the players what they didn't do the simple schoolboy errors the lack of uh, attention to detail or concentration the tactics if you will um, not respecting who germany is trying to play them toe-to-toe -toe. didn't work mm -hmm. out too well for for greg berhalter to then saying okay we need to turn the page, and against Ghana, this is how we can hurt them. We need to be smart. We need to press them smartly, and that they did, and they forced Ghana into very compromising positions. I thought Greg Verhalter got it completely right in the first half. Again, with Giovanni Reina electing to go twice to start him when many thought he wouldn't. Uh, listen, pressed all the right buttons in that first half. He mentioned the second half. He was a little disappointed that the solutions didn't uh, bring those solutions or didn't or the level dropped off. That's going to happen when you make six changes. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. It's going to happen when you make that many changes. He does it because he wants to see players. Maybe if you're in a, I don't know, a competitive game or something else, you let it go so there's more fluidity in these games. But I, I like the performance. I like the bounce back performance that I saw from this team. I think, Herc, it's a real good reminder of where this program is and the progress that it is making, right? Because after the Germany game, it's fair for a lot of fans to say, hey, well, if we're losing 3-1, and pretty clearly beyond that, forget the score, forget, just think about how it felt for a U.S. fan watching that game against Germany. You're thinking, okay, the, the ceiling for this team is not what it was. This team is not as good as we maybe thought that they were. We can say whatever we want about Ghana, and there were definitely some moments, both against Mexico and against the U.S., where I don't want to say they looked unprofessional, but maybe they looked disinterested. Um, or not as focused as I would have expected from a Ghana team. This is still a squad, Herc, that, as Greg Berhalter said, 
has a lot of talent, mm -hmm. playing in some pretty important teams, and is eight months removed from being a World Cup squad. So we have to put some respect on Ghana's name. And this wasn't, you know, a 3 nothing over Uzbekistan or Amman. This was 4 nothing in the first 40 minutes over a team that has a World Cup pedigree. Maybe not the greatest World Cup pedigree, but a pretty solid recent World Cup pedigree. The United States, 5, 10, 15 years ago, was not blowing out teams the caliber of Ghana. That was not happening. So to me, as low as you might have felt as a U.S. fan after the Germany game, you got to be feeling just as high after this Ghana performance. The one thing is, Herc, I don't know how many fans really cared about it. I know there's a lot of people watching this game, but did you see the attendance in Nashville? I mean, it was there was a, it was nobody there. Yeah. If I'm a U.S. player, I'm feeling really disrespected, really unappreciated. We got one of the best teams we've ever had. We hung four on Ghana in Nashville, and there was nobody hurt there to see it. Yeah, I believe the final attendance was like 18,000, something like that. Mm, but it's, right. it's, That's it's, what they announced. Exactly, and we know announced. how those work, right, those yes. announcements. It's on the bigger side for soccer-specific stadiums, you know. And Nashville's a great soccer city, right? Well, well, here it is, Seb. When you have a smaller stadium, per se, mm -hmm. what happens to the ticket prices? They go up, right? Okay. Whether it's U.S. But soccer. But this is not Oman oh. and Uzbekistan. This is Ghana. This is good competition. Yeah, Sure, I guess it was, right? They could have dropped eight on them. They, they missed four clear-cut <laughs> chances. Good competition. What I'm trying to tell you is midweek in a game that is maybe not that high in demand and attention for some fans with okay. the ticket prices that U.S. soccer imposes and the, then the scalpers themselves, the resell, I can see this not being a massive draw. I could right. see this being a game where there is not that much interest. And you're right. I, listen, I don't recall as a U.S. men's national team player playing in empty stadiums. I don't recall that ever being an issue with us. And we certainly didn't have this generation. We certainly didn't have this type of clout with players playing in the leagues and the teams they play for. It's definitely something to, uh, to be brought to the attention. All right, so we focus on the uh, collective. Let's focus on the individuals now, Herc. Let's do some stock up, stock down. And this is not just for the game against Ghana. This is more for the window right. as a whole. Okay, so who are you giving your first stock up to? I think we each had to do one stock up, stock down. I'll let you lead the way. Yeah, I mean, it has to be Giovanni Reina. Hey, Giovanni Reina started the first game against Germany, and he was clearly the bright spot. Anytime you needed to have an outlet, a breather in possession or on the dribble to evade and skip by defenders, it was Giovanni Reina. Uh, the ability to beat players on the 1v1 or to open somebody up with your vision and your passing makes everybody around him better. Not just the Ghana game, but look at Fowler and Balogun, how dependent he is on Giovanni Reina. It almost seems like Gio's the only one who constantly looks for Fowler and Balogun. Fowler and Balogun makes great, crisp, hard runs. Gio looks for that. He makes him better. He makes Timothy Weah better. How many times did Timothy Weah get behind the German defense, get behind the Ghanaian defense? Christian Pulisic just gives him more confidence because Christian knows that he doesn't share, he doesn't have to uh, have the load or the responsibility when it comes to playmaking. There's Giovanni Reina there. Giovanni Reina is a clear-cut winner here. Listen, Kyle Martino, um, the, the, the color commentator uh, for, for Max and the U.S. Men's National League, he said it best. There is no best 11 that doesn't include Giovanni Reina. Whatever mm. you might think the best 11 mm. is, Gio Reina is in that best 11. Mm. 
Wow. Uh, you're not the only one saying it. His teammates said it too, right? They were very complimentary of the performance and kind of what he brought to the team. Greg Berhalter said before the window he wanted to send Gio back to Dortmund ready. I think very clearly he's done that. And most importantly, Herc, whatever the issue is between them, and I, I don't doubt that it may still linger personally for a long time, from a soccer footballing sense, it looks pretty much in the rearview mirror. It doesn't seem to affect the team at all. And when you see Gio Reyna starting, scoring, and smiling, you really have to think it's not affecting him. And that's the most important thing. Greg Berhalter's clearly moved on. He's called him in. He's given him the opportunity. And Gio Reyna doesn't seem at all phased. So if, if the hope for this window was to move past that storyline, um, I think we've got to give credit to both guys because yeah. I think they've achieved it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing for a young player and a young coach. Greg Berhalter is still a very young U.S. Men's National Team coach. All right, let me do my stock up here. Gio Reyna is the obvious one, right? Hard to argue that. There's a couple other guys who I think had very good windows as well. I was between Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah. But, man, I'm going to go with Tim Weah because we talk about Christian Pulisic a lot on this show. Uh, and, Herc, I know that Gio Reyna gets a lot of the attention. And Christian Pulisic gets a lot of the attention. And I don't doubt that opposing managers, when they start to game plan for the U.S., they may well focus their defensive resources on guys like Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna. And maybe that's why Tim Way is having the success that he's having. But it is overwhelming when you watch this U.S. team, how right side dominant and right side strong they are. Whether it's Tim Weah and Serginho Dest, whether it's Tim Weah and Joe Scali, it doesn't really matter. But when it's Weah and Dest, look out. I think any other team in the world is gonna worry about it, especially the teams in this region, especially the teams in CONCACAF. When I see Tim Weah, he's the player that if I'm, if I'm looking from a betting standpoint and I wanna do an anytime goal score or an anytime assist, he's the guy that you bank on because her, he is time in and time out the most consistently dangerous player on this team. I love watching this guy play. For the golazo that Christian Pulisic scored in this, in this window, I'm still giving my stock up to Tim Weah. It, it's hard to argue. He was a standout performer in, in both games, consistently getting behind the defenders. I think it was Cincinnati, the Dos Acero, uh, U.S. versus Mexico, the cross he sends to Christian Pulisic. Since that moment... It's a different Timothy Weah. Hmm. Like, like the guy can easily have his own Serginho Desk mixed video for every game he's played with the U.S. Men's National <laughs> Team since. Um, you know what's funny is Alfonso Davies is one of these players who, you know, kind of wants to be a winger but has ended up at the highest level playing as a defender. We see Tim Weah playing right wing back at Juventus. And I have said this before that I didn't know if Tim Weah was good enough as a right wing to play at a top club. Now, maybe we're not talking about the top elite clubs of Real Madrid, but I think it's pretty clear when you watch him play with the national team. There is no doubt, Herc, Tim Weah needs to be playing right wing, and I think he could play it at a pretty high level, including Juventus. I know they don't really play that, a formation that allows for that right now, but if they ever do, man, he could definitely be further up the field, even at the highest level. I mean, it's hard to argue not. I mean, he, he's a player that's just anytime he's on the field, he's consistently just beating players with his movement or with the ball. So, yeah, agreed. All right, stock up, Gio Reyna and <clears throat> Tim Weah. The other side of stock up is stock down, Her, We got to hand out some negatives here after the uh, game against Germany and the game against Ghana. Who are you going with first? I'm going with Yunus Musa. Uh, and listen, the game against Germany wasn't a great game for a lot of players, especially in the midfield. But specifically Yunus Musa, 
who without Tyler Adams is maybe being asked to do some things he normally wouldn't do with the national team and to be that kind of holding lockdown midfielder if you will and we saw some just very naive mistakes from him versus Germany leaving his feet at the top of the box when he doesn't have to committing that way putting his teammates in compromising positions just not as fine or, or as confident as he is on the ball generally and then you go to the game against Ghana and honestly in that midfield trio that they played with Giovanni Reina and it's Johnny Cardoso and it's Yunus Musa the one who brought less to that game was Yunus Musa. I actually thought Johnny Cardoso did very well. Now listen, given the opponent as well, how hard could it be to play defensive midfielder if they're never threatening you, right? But I actually thought Johnny Cardoso did very well. And if you look at Yunus like, in a game where they could have been up 7-8-0 by half, he had .00 expected goals. So listen, Yunus Musa is a fine footballer, but he's putting put in a position right now that I don't think this window made him shine. So if I had to pick somebody for stock down, it would be Yunus. So Yunus Musa, obviously a, a, a fine footballer, right? Yeah. And, and maybe didn't have the, the best window here. How big of a concern, though, is this based on the news that we got earlier today about Tyler Adams, who we now know is going to be out with another hamstring injury yeah. until at least February, right? Because Surgery. what is being asked of Musa here is, is maybe a similar position, but a very different role than what he's used to playing. And if Tyler Adams is out, I think still Yunus Musa, as, as one of those double pivots, is still your best answer, right? Even, even if he had a down window. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's no, there's no way you can just say down window, you're out. He's proven himself over the course of his U.S. Messenger career. Uh, and also with AC Milan that he's capable enough in certain tactical schemes mm -hmm. to play that position. He's just not going to, you know, be the guy that's that straight ball winner, if you will. But if you use him wisely, he's a very good player, especially his biggest strength is the way he connects the game from the defensive line to the you know offensive line, being that guy that can drive the ball going forward, security blanket, if you will, in possession. But when you're playing that holding six or that pivot, that double pivot, you need to have a little bit of bite and defensive responsibility as well. And that's the one thing that he's going to have to work on. And let's remember, playing time at AC Milan, though he was getting a lot of it to start the season, is not guaranteed. They've got some midfielders that and are starting to get positions, healthy. Seb that are going to be coming back in. So if Tyler Adams is injured and Yunus Moose is not playing, now that, that urgency for that number six solution, that backup number six solution, uh, becomes even more evident. Herc, my stock down here is in the defensive line. Now, a lot of this is because of the expectations around this player. Chris Richards, I think, is a, is a great football, and I think at some point will be one of the guys in the middle of this American defense. But... At the highest level, right? What was the highest level that we saw the U.S. go up against in this window? It was Germany. And if you remember, Herc, the first German goal, it comes right down the middle and it comes right down his channel. Okay, Gundogan taps it in, but it's right down. And as you see it right there, right down the middle, right where Chris Richards steps up and he misreads it. And I'm thinking, well, what's happened here? This is not a bad player, right? Chris Richards is, is in no way a bad player, but it looks to me, Herc, and especially against a team like Germany, you're gonna get exposed as a guy who is not in rhythm. He is not in game rhythm. And then you look at the numbers and yes, playing time has been difficult for him to come by at Crystal Palace. But this is Herka player that at 23 years old has less than 50 first division appearances in his career. And for a center back where I think experience 
really, truly matters. That's my worry with Chris Richards, that both in terms of the last three, four years of his career, but especially right now at Crystal Palace, he's not going to get the minutes that he needs to develop into the player that everybody wants him to be. It's a fair assessment. I will add that he's started the last four games for the U.S. men's national team. And if you talk about that first goal, Serginho Des leading Leroy Sané into the middle has a lot of blame. And so does Eunice Musa for leaving his feet the way he did. He could have just held and forced the ball another way, not put Chris Richards in a compromising mm -hmm. position. But it wasn't a good game from Chris Richards. That said, it wasn't a good game for anybody in that back line. Tim, mm. Tim Ream was, was just as uh, culpable or just as bad mm -hmm. in that game. But... It's hard to argue with wanting to see a player more um, like Chris Richards because of his ceiling. I mean, we're sitting here. Think about this. When Greg Berhalter's tenure started and things started heating up in World Cup qualifying, the mm -hmm. tandem, the duo at center back that everybody thought they were going to yep. see at the World Cup was Chris Richards and Miles Robinson. Neither made the World Cup due to injury. Chris Richards especially had uh, moments where he wasn't available throughout all World Cup qualifying because of injury. I wonder what John Brooks thought watching this international window, watching U.S. against Germany, watching the left center back struggle uh, as he continues to play well out there in the Bundesliga with Hoffman. Scored against Ghana in the World Cup. There, there you go. Look at the uh, many USA-Ghana connections uh, on this international window. All right, Herc, let's uh, look ahead to what's next for the U.S. men's national team. Games that actually matter. The CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinals. That's right. They're going to face Trinidad and Tobago. We got uh, two legs, one on November 16th. That game's going to be played in Austin. And then on November 20th, it'll be the away leg. Exactly where is still TBD. The winner of this quarterfinal obviously goes to the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. But beyond that, gets a guaranteed spot in Copa America 2024. Herc, there's a lot of history, speaking of, between the United States and Trinidad and Tobago. What are the chances that we get another TNT upset special this November, uh, as we did in October of 2017, to keep the U.S. out of the World Cup? 3%. Ah, he went there. He went there. And you know why I went there. So we used to have the SPI here on in ESPN. I believe we still have some version of the SPI. Mm -hmm. And it was, and it was well, we don't have it. And it was the probabilities. <laughs> <laughs> it was the probability of the U.S. men's national team not advancing, mm -hmm. okay, to the World Cup. They put it at 3%. And what happened? That 3% probability happened. It needed to the U.S. men's national team needed to lose, okay, to Trinidad and Tobago. Honduras needed to beat Mexico. That also happened. And Costa Rica had to lose to Panama. That also happened. Mexico and Costa Rica were stunned. Panama scored a phantom goal that never went in. The U.S. loses, and they're out of the World Cup. So what I'm trying to tell you is, it's very slim, but there's always mm -hmm. some crazy things that could happen out there. So I'll give it a 3%. But this isn't going to happen, Seb. Actually, if you look at the last three times they've played since, okay, they lost 2-1. to one. The last three mm -hmm. games since, 6-0, scoreline. It's not going to happen. And, and uh, I don't know, part of me thinks if it ever did happen, um, Kaka Kaf and, and Kamenobol will figure out a way to get the U.S. Men's National <laughs> Team in Copa America. <laughs>
Well, it's it's worth noting, it's not the only way into Copa America. So even if they were to lose, there is still maybe a, a back door. I got to give this a 0% chance, Eric. This U.S. team you is... Were, you were in Trinidad. You I was in Trinidad. Trinidad. And, you're, you're and the that Mufa. U.S. team was a lot worse than this U.S. team. That, that U.S. team was sprinkled with veteran guys over the hill playing in MLS. This U.S. team is, is not that. They're going to kill this team. This Trinidad team is also not very good. I think they got... Let me see what they got. On their, they got four USL guys on their roster. They got one MLS Next Pro player on their roster. With all due respect to those levels, right? Oh, don't say that. That's not who we're talking about when don't we're talking about that. the US roster. You know, anytime anybody says with all due respect, it's like, well. And finally, it's not over 90 minutes, Herc. It's, it's 180 minutes. If the US goes out to this Trinidad and Tobago with this team over 180 minutes, that's a fireable offense, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> you think? Well, I know it's a fireable offense. The question is, would he actually be fired? Uh, and that's maybe a different different conversation for a, uh, for a different day. A reminder, the Bundesliga is back tomorrow. Our good friend Gio Reyna and his club, Borussia Dortmund, taking on Werder Bremen uh, Friday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coverage starts right here on ESPN+. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Perk, what about El Tri? I'm going to call him that until the uh, letter from the lawyers arrives. In Philly, taking on Germany. This one crazy. A uh, shutdown traffic there along with the uh, Phillies and Flyers. Germany trying to play out of the back in the third minute. It leads to this. A chance for Edson Alvarez. They're staying there with the save. Yeah, it's good pressure. Ball gets played back. Edson Alvarez, maybe uncomfortable angle, but good shot nonetheless. Big question in this one. Would Santiago Jimenez finally start? He did start 10 minutes in, Hurt. He gets a golden opportunity and doesn't miss by much. Yeah, watch Uriel Antuna just eliminate the defender here. Put Santiago Jimenez in a great position. Turn and shot. He's asking for the corner kick. Nope, no go. Speaking of corner kicks, 25th minute, Rudiger at the back post, 1-0 Germany. I mean, set pieces again. Every single time, it's, it's the Achilles heel. Mexico down a goal, 
two headers from the set, set piece. Another chance from a dead ball here, this time for Mexico and Santiago Jimenez. Herc, how'd he miss it? It's an uncomfortable finish, but one you think he should put on target. Replays, confirmed. He may have been offside, still gotta put it away. Germany still up 1-0 until this. Uriel Antuna finishes the pass from Chucky Lozano. This is a heads-up play because it was a goal scored by Mueller that they call offsides. Mexico quickly plays it on the other end of the field and Uriel Antuna scores! Mexico flying to end the first half, flying to start the second half. Uriel Antuna the cross, Chiquito Sanchez. For those that don't speak Spanish, Chiquito means little. He won the header. And who did he beat? Chula's like, what, seven foot? All you need to do is have anticipation, a little heart, and determination. 2-1, Mexico on top. 51st minute, Germany with their response. Nicholas Fulkrug hammers it home on the rebound. Yeah, the initial shot may have been in. There is no VAR. Uh, I think this one's in. Memo Ochoa puts it out. Fulkrug's going to be like, no, no, no. We're, we're, we're not going home like that. 2-2. Two, two. I wish there was VAR here. Jesus Gallardo into the box. A penalty shot for Mexico, Herc. Why didn't they call it? This is the second one I thought was a penalty kick. I thought one on Santi Jimenez in the first half. This one right here clearly takes Gallardo. Should have been called, in my opinion. Game ends 2-2. Here's Jimmy Lozano, post-game. Miren, lo personal, saber que le puedes competir de tú a tú a cualquier selección, siempre y cuando haya certeza que se tenga el orden y que se mantenga el plan de partido con la atención y la concentración adecuada. Creo que ustedes vieron, eh, un poco habló Nagelsmann de lo que éramos y fue lo que mostramos. ¿no? Un equipo que eh, no es lo más importante, aunque lo queremos tener el balón, sino generar opciones de gol y es lo que más buscamos ante cualquier rival. Creo que eso, eso a mí me deja, me deja contento. Sí, bastante buena. Digo, Santi es... Es un delantero, y creo que es del que más hemos hablado en esta fecha FIFA, que pasa un gran momento en su equipo, que hoy hizo un muy buen partido, que nos ayudó muchísimo a defender, que no es poca cosa que un delantero te ayude tanto a defender, que tuvo opciones de gol, que el equipo y él también se generó algunas opciones de gol, y eso siempre va a ser importante que, que, que suceda. Que tenemos que estar agradecidos de, de que tenemos tres delanteros en, en buen momento, eh, y es una competencia sana eh, para todos, y, y el beneficio total es para la selección de México. There he is, Jimmy Lozano, manager of the Mexican national team after their 2-2 draw against Germany in Philadelphia. Herc, biggest takeaway from what we saw from Mexico against the four-time World Cup champions? Jimmy Lozano outcoached Julian Nagelsmann. And is that is that something I thought I'd be saying on tonight's episode, Seb? Uh, when you look at the tactics by Jimmy Lozano against Germany, they were brilliant. He literally betrayed Mexico's ideology went against their DNA. He said, we can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe in possession. We're going to lose. So we're going to give Germany the ball. He rope-a-doped the German national team. Julian Nagelsmann, rope-a-dope is a term in boxing where you essentially let yourself get hit. Pretend like it's hurting you, hurting you, so you can counter and take advantage of the open space. This is essentially what he did. He run and gunned. 
That's what he did with Santi Jimenez, with uh, with Chucky Lozano, and with Uriel Antuna, who was brilliant. He said, have the ball, and they did. 68% of the ball, because when they have the ball in their half, in Mexico's half, guess what happens? The center backs push up. Everybody is now closer to your goal. You're inviting, you're creating the space behind them, and then you're hurting them when you get the ball. He showed what Greg Berhalter should have done, respected Germany, mm. been intelligent about it, and boy, did he hurt Germany. 68 possession, possession, excuse me, and he hurt Germany every time they had a counter. Mexico could have won this match. I mean, we showed the highlights there. Maybe it wouldn't have been a, a super convincing penalty, but Mexico had their opportunities in the second half to get that third goal and win this game 3-2. And Herc, if you go back over the performances from Mexico, basically to the pandemic, right, the last real, truly positive performance that you have from this Mexican national team is before the pandemic. It's 2019. There has been nothing like this. As a fan of Mexico, this is the best performance we've seen in a long time, and it has to give you overwhelming optimism. One that they could compete against Germany. I think that's a legit question for Mexico coming out of the World Cup. Can this team anymore compete against the best teams in the world? They showed, and I know Germany's not what they once were, but they're so loaded with talent. And by the way, we just saw what they did against the United States. So seeing what they did against the U.S., to see Mexico as a collective put in this performance was hugely uplifting. And then from an individual perspective, we had some great performances as well. The type of performances where guys are establishing themselves as starters, guys who could potentially hurt be part of that generational overhaul that Mexico desperately needs and really didn't do before the last World Cup. I'm talking about guys like Chiquito Sanchez, who we saw uh, get the goal there. I'm talking about guys like Johan Vasquez, who we saw have a couple one-on-one -on -one showdowns with Leroy Sané and more than hold his own. So I think when you add all of that up in kind of the player and team performance, you feel really good. And to your point about the manager, like, this is really great. We got a clever manager here, one who finally did what I've been screaming about since the World Cup, which is be more pragmatic, which for Mexican managers is very difficult to do. But I'll raise my hand, Herc. I had my doubts about Jimmy Lozano. If you're going to tell me that three, four months into this thing, he has outmanaged Julian Nagelsmann, I'm feeling way better, not just about the team and not just about the player pool, but about the manager coming out of this window. Well, he learned. He learned. Um, <laughs> the last time the Mexican fan base felt this good about a game against a big opponent, do you know when it was? When? It was 2018 in the World Cup versus the same German team. That's, who, that's how long ago it's been. And how did they mm -hmm. beat them? Playing the pragmatic way. Juan Carlos Osorio had that team playing essentially the same way Jimmy Lozano did. And listen, they got a result. Yep. If there's one reason, not for negativity, but maybe not for optimism, it is what's going on up top with the forward position. Santiago Jimenez, Herc, he finally got the long-awaited start in this game. What do you make of his performance? This is my problem with rating these Last episode, I said this would happen. I was sitting here. Why didn't he play against Ghana? Well, well Germany's the big game. And I called mm -hmm. the shot. I said, essentially, this would happen. That if he didn't have a good performance or if he didn't score a goal, he had his opportunity. What happened? A wasted opportunity. Let me tell you about the opportunities that Santi Jimenez has had. All right? Santi Jimenez has had three starts under Jimmy Lozano. One was in Suriname on a turf field where the defense is so bad, so bad I thought they may lose that game, okay? 
He missed the penalty kick on that one. The second was a start against Qatar in the Gold Cup, a game that they dominated mm -hmm. and the ball would not go in. Qatar's only chance, they score a loss. And then But it was the second team, basically. It was an entirely changed lineup in that game. Correct. Cha both were changed lineups. Suriname changed lineup, and then Qatar changed lineup. Now you're in with a good team against a very good team, and you're with the responsibility. He had a few chances he could have put away, he did not. But the responsibility, okay, to commit, to defend, and to be an outlet going forward, to use his pace to get in behind, which is what is, he is so good at, his bread and butter, okay? He can be the only forward in that front man line if you're playing against a team like Germany. The only outlet with the pace to have those players respect you. And if they respect you, that means they have to respect the rest. I thought it was a good performance. I thought he needed the goal to cap it off for it to be a convincing performance. But mm -hmm. I, I take issue because I knew this would happen. Herc, you've been a forward. After a match, when your manager comes out and talks about your defending, what does that usually mean about your performance? About your – well, no. That's, no, that's not fair to Santi because I think on this match – Jimmy Lozano knew that they would have to be defending the majority of the time. The numbers okay. indicate that. It was almost 70% possession in the first half, Seb. As a striker, if they're talking about your defending, you didn't have a good game, Herc. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy <laughs> running the Santi train here. I love Santiago Jimenez. No, you don't. He had, he had some really bad misses in this game, especially the one off the set piece, which I know people will say is offside. But what, what player we see playing in Europe has to finish that. And I got to think, Herc, that he is a guy right now who is feeling the pressure of trying to win this position. You don't, you don't see that. You don't see a I agree vastly with that. different player I agree with, that. with the I agree Mexican with, I agree national with the team pressure. than we see at Feyenoord. I agree with the pressure, but I think you are limiting how many real opportunities this man has had with the Mexican national team. I oh, mean, I forwards, think we, I forwards think... like Henry Martin and Raul Jimenez have had mm -hmm. more opportunities with this Mexican national team than Santiago Jimenez. Under Jimmy Lozano, that's a reality. So now because right. he didn't produce a goal against Germany, the hardest opposition they've had since. And by the way, what is the best game that the Mexican national team has played in, what, the last five years? And he was part of that lineup, and you're going to sit here and criticize him? Eh, come on. Well, it's not criticizing. We could say the performance was bad, and then we can talk about why. I think one of the big reasons why is he doesn't have chemistry with the guys because, to your point, he has not been given the opportunities. You saw the back and forth between him and Chucky Lozano. I mean, there was a couple plays where they clearly were not on the same page. And had they been on the same page, it could have ended in a goal. That's football. That's football. And that's the life of a forward. And that's been his life or was his life at Feyenoord until that first one went in and then the second one went in and the third one. And before you know it, it's plus 20 goals in a season. He's just got to find his rhythm with Mexican national team, but that doesn't happen unless he's on the field. It doesn't happen unless he has opportunities. Yeah. And I think that's a concern. If you're a Mexico fan, you're, you're going to get concerned that Henry Martin's going to catch fire in Liga Mekis or Raul Jimenez might score a goal in the Carabao Cup or wherever they let him play. And then, you know, all of a sudden, this debate is going to rage on when everybody knows Santiago Jimenez should be atop the depth chart of Mexican number nines. All right, let's talk a player, about a player who did not have a bad performance against Germany. In fact, the total opposite, Uriel Antuna. The discussion now, Herc, is how much crow does Sebney D? No. Is Uriel Antuna now a lock in Mexico's starting 11? Not just today. He's been a lock, and he should be a lock. I, I don't care 
how you feel about Uriel Antuna, what his performances have been like for Chivas or for Cruz Azul. When it comes to the Mexican national team, cuando se pone la verde, when he puts the green jersey on, the man is Hulk. He transforms himself. He's a different player. He's a confident player. And guess what? He's a productive player, Seb. There is no more productive player over the last four years for the Mexican national team than Uriel Antuna. There's more. There's no more productive player for Jimmy Lozano in his 10 games than yep. Uriel Antuna. Three goals, three assists, six goal contributions in 10 games. And every time he's on the field, it's not just the goals and the assists. It's him with the ball, how confident he is. It's him without the ball, how decisive and smart his runs are. It's him being goal dangerous every single time he's on the field. And you mentioned the chemistry, okay, with Chucky Lozano and Santiago Jimenez. Do you know what happens to have good chemistry with Santiago Jimenez? It's Uriel Antuna. And Uriel yeah. Antuna keeps proving me right. He keeps proving himself right. And that's why he's going on the field and he's getting these opportunities from um, Jimmy Lozano. I'll tell you what. There is a moment after the game that Mi Selección, the Selección account for Mexico, Mi Selección, put up where Jimmy Lozano is talking to Uriel Antuna, talking to him about how important this window was for him and to keep going and how Copa America is around the horizon. I'm telling you, he's going to be a massive part of Jimmy Lozano's plan. And right now, he is the man for Mexico. Yeah. I, I got to hold my hand up here. I, I hate the, fact of, the facts about 2019 because, you know, I'm going to point that those goals were scored against Cuba and Martinique and Bermuda. But if you just look at this year, you have to say he is undoubtedly the hot yeah. hand with the Mexican national team. And right now, Jimmy Lozano needs to start the hot hand. So right now, for me, he is a lock in Mexico's starting 11. How long that lasts really is how hot he stays. He is Herc enjoying the best moment of his career now with the national team. For all the productivity you want to talk about, this is by far his best moment. If he keeps it up, he stays. But he's not going to stay here based on his club form, Herc. I mean, there's very little from his club career that says this guy is going to prove to you playing in Liga Mekis that he's worthy of a Mexican national team spot. And that would be the concern to me if I'm an Antuna guy or if I'm if I'm a Mexico fan that wants to see this guy in the 11 is he's not this dude at club level. And until I see him be that at club level, I don't think I'll ever really believe that he can consistently do it with the national team. He's Cruz Azul's best player. And he's a leading goal scorer as a winger. I, listen, man, there's there's some people who just for whatever reason don't like Uriel Antuna. They won't buy into <laughs> Uriel Antuna, and that is fine. But you can't deny the kid and what he's doing with the Mexican national team. He's got better numbers than, than Tecatito Corona. He's got better numbers than Buffalo Batista. He's got better numbers than, than Paco Palencia with the Mexican mm -hmm. national team. Like There are some things you can't unsee. There he is, Uriel Antuna. Yep. He's your man. Speed kills. You think he'll still be this fast in three years? You think he's, that'll hurt his game as he ages? 26. He's Listen, 26. He'll be 29 when the World Cup rolls around. It's fine, man. It's prime of your life, prime of your career for a footballer. Listen, as long as he's knock on wood, stays healthy, he'll be fine. And mm -hmm. listen, everybody's going to lose a step, okay? Okay. It's natural. But when your game's predicated on speed, it's it's a bigger deal, isn't it? How fast did that cross look to, Chiqui to uh, Chiquito Sanchez? Did that look like he was running? Huh? Uh, when you get older... The ball doesn't move slower. You move slower. Well, that's what I'm that's trying to say. It's like, you get smarter as well. So hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Yes, not all of us, as uh, sometimes is evidenced uh, on this very show. All right, Herc, time for some football versus soccer. USA versus Mexico. They played the same two teams in this past international window. Who do you think had the better October? Mexico. 
It, it's, it, there's no doubt about it. Listen, I, I already mm -hmm. said that the U.S. men's national team played the worst 45 minutes I've seen under Greg Berhalter. The Mexican national team played the best game we've seen in the last four or five years. And guess what? They did it after an underwhelming window versus Australia and Uzbekistan mm -hmm. when they had to come back in both games. So Jimmy Lozano was under a bit of pressure. And with this great window, He's uh, earned a little bit of credibility and also he's earned a little bit of, uh, I guess, alleviated a little bit of that pressure, if you will, as well. So I think he proved to those out there that they're capable of a good game, but also to his players that if you buy in, we can do special things. Yeah, I think Mexico had the better window. Like if you were a Mexico fan, you're leaving this window much more confident than you came in. And if you're a U.S. fan, you're probably hurt leaving it a little less confident than you came in based on the performance against Germany. A lot of that just has to do with where these two programs are. You mentioned the September window. That was two games, and while there were some highlights in those games, there were no victories. So just tasting victory, even if it was unimpressive against Ghana 2-0, and even if it was on turf, is valuable. But this performance against Germany, I mean, this is the light at the end of the tunnel for Mexico fans, and you got to feel really, really good about what Mexico was able to do um, in these two games. My question for you, Herc, from a U.S. perspective, does what they did against Ghana, especially how good they looked in that first half, does it wash out the sour taste from your mouth of what you saw against Germany? No, sometimes it's figuring each other out. It's putting in a professional shift. Um, you could argue the strongest lineup was the second lineup. It looked like the strongest lineup. They performed like it was the strongest lineup. So I don't take stock into what they did in a game where they scored multiple goals and won. There you go. So Mexico with a win over Ghana uh, and a draw against Germany. The United States losing to Germany uh, and then beating Ghana by a final score of four to nothing. Bundesliga is back this week. So is La Liga, Celta de Vigo, featuring Luca de la Torre, frequent guest here on Football Americas, taking on Atletico Madrid Saturday on ESPN+. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. MLS Decision Day going down on Saturday as the regular season draws to a close. We got all Eastern Conference games starting at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and then all Western Conference games starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. Should be a very dramatic final day of the MLS regular season. So what does it mean in the East? We got five teams fighting for the last two spots. Charlotte, Chicago, Montreal, New York Red Bulls, and New York City FC all still battling to secure a playoff spot. Top of the table there is pretty stable. 
Cincy and Orlando locked in at one and two. That's in the east. What about over in the west? We got five teams fighting for three spots here. FC Dallas, Minnesota, San Jose, Portland, and Sporting Kansas City battling for the two wild card spots and one direct ticket into the first round best of three series. The Houston Dynamo going for home field advantage. They've been great at home under Ben Olsen. Uh, so we know that will be some uh, some big games this weekend. As we mentioned there, San Jose, one of the teams playing for their lives on Saturday, and their manager, Luchi Gonzalez, is back with us again here on Football Americas. Luchi, uh, great to have you with us on the show. Lots to get to. I want to talk playoffs uh, and some other things, but I got to ask you first, this is kind of an awkward week in Major League Soccer. It's salary dump week. How do the San mm. Jose earthquakes, how does a Luchi locker room deal with salary dump mm. week? Because things could get tense, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's something that uh, obviously as a coach, you don't focus on, right? We're, we're a team and uh, the business part of it is, is how you build the rosters and how you build this league and every, not just here in the whole world. So um, it, look, those things are out there. They're transparent and it's about embracing it, owning it as a team and, and, uh, and, and really not making anything of it. You know, we're, 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 we're very focused on being very collective, you know, together we're stronger. That's how we're going to accomplish what we want to do in the goals, especially this crucial moment of the season and, and no distractions, right? No excuses. Let's stay focused on, on the objectives. Coach, it's such a long season. I mean, you guys start way back in January. Uh, it's months and months and months. And then it kind of feels like it all boils down to Saturday against Austin FC. How are you feeling with your season kind of hanging by a thread or, or on the brink of either success or what I would guess from your perspective is failure if you don't make the postseason? Yeah, look, I, it's important for me as a head coach to, to have a good big picture uh, frame uh, of mine because we've made a lot of progress this season, you know, the, from the preseason uh, to this moment. It's all about a process, how we want to act, how we want to play, like what is our team's vision, what are our values, how, how do we want to uh, play the game, and, and how do we want to train. And so those are the things answered with our actions, and we're really proud of all the progress we made this year, right? And we put ourselves, we've earned this position on decision day to fight for a playoff pathway to the MLS Cup and to do it at home in front of our fans and our families, an amazing opportunity. We're excited about it. Lucci, this may be kind of an odd question because Austin's out. They have no chance of making the playoffs, so they really only have to fight to play spoiler. How do you go about a matchup with a team like that? Like, what do we expect the San Jose Earthquakes versus Austin? Yeah, look, this is this is a super competitive league, and, and Austin's beaten some very good teams this year. Let's not forget they are the returning Western Conference champion, and that's the way our attitude's approaching this game. They have the talent, the coaching staff, uh, and the team to to beat anybody, and we, we have to respect that. Uh, at the same time, we know what's on the line for, for us, you know, and how do we want to impose ourselves? How do we want to attack and defend the game, and, and especially here at home? So, you know, we have to respect Austin and know how they're a very good team with talent. Uh, and at the same time, believe in ourselves, trust in ourselves to get the job done. Herc, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Football Americas is turning into Quakes TV here. Remember, we had Christian <laughs> Espinoza on, uh, what, a couple weeks ago? That's right. Having a great season. Uh, Lucci, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you've been able to do to get the best out of Christian Espinoza and then maybe some of the other guys. Because I think for a lot of the people that watch this show, maybe they don't watch San Jose every week. Who are some of the other guys that have been critical to the success you've enjoyed so far this season? 
Yeah, Christian, you know, first and foremost, off the field, Christian is an amazing teammate, amazing human being, a family guy. Uh, he leads by example every single day. And then look on the field and his preparation from his warm up to possession games to uh, small sided games and then to the real game. This guy leaves everything on the field. He's relentless with his energy, his competitiveness, and he's a great example for all of our young and experienced guys. And he's he's led the way, whether he's scoring or not. He's uh, he's helping us get better. And look, the team credit to, you know, Christian will be the first to credit his teammates in terms of any type of MLS uh, nomination or, or individual accolades. You know, we're we have a, a collective mentality, a team spirit and, and guys that lead that and like Jabo in the front line, who's always inquisitive, learning in videos, asking questions, Daniel in goal, competing with JT, but ready to step up. And then you know, you got a back line that's been put together in the last year that's competing really well. And Rodri, Jonah, Tanner centrally giving us stability. Um, yeah, I could go on and on, you know, guys in the midfield, Gresso experience, Nico, young player up and coming uh, and, and going to have an amazing future now and, and for the club and in the future. So, you know, I, I could I could spend quite a few more minutes here talking about uh, uh, the potential and the special people and players we have on this team. And I'm excited for them to fight for more uh, to continue the season on Saturday. Luchi, it's your first year in San Jose. I, I believe San Jose in the past 10 uh, seasons has been to the postseason twice. How much pressure do you as a coach feel to take San Jose to the playoffs? Yeah, look, there's the stakes are high. We know the history of this club has been winning MLS Cup championships with some special players coming through. And, you know, I, again, I, focusing on this season, we've made a lot of progress, taking like a very intense and technical foundation from, from the last season or two, and now having some defensive stability and and, uh, and just taking our next step, you know, and putting ourselves in this position that we're talking about. You know, the way we want to approach it is do what we've been doing, right? Like we need to, we need to stay together. Like we're no, none of us are going to do anything special by ourselves. It's about believing in each other, in the collective, and, and that's attitude of, is going to make us stronger together. And then staying present. It's important that we're focused on the next moment. Just stay present, stay focused. Today, yesterday's gone, tomorrow is coming. It's about being present right now, engaged and focused right now, approaching each training each and this game that's coming up. And nothing changes, doing what we've been doing. And lastly, I said it before, we're excited. We're gonna approach this game with courage and joy. What a great opportunity. Let's go have a blast out there in the field, express ourselves in front of our families and our fans. And let's have a great time doing it. It's the best. It's an opportunity. We want to have a good time doing it. Coach, you won't say it now that you're here, but Hercules Gomez has on occasion used the San Jose Earthquakes as, a, as an organization, not necessarily this year under your watch, as a bit of a punching bag. Okay, but, you know, maybe you can kind of look Fair. at that and say, well, that's coming from outside, right? Um, there were some recent comments from your owner, John Fisher, about PayPal Park, saying that it was outdated. I wonder what your reaction was to those comments and then to the reaction from the fans, because they were pretty upset about it. With the experience I've had in this year, uh, you know, I played for this club 21 years ago and seeing the growth of the club from the PayPal, you know, PayPal has been an amazing experience with our fans. I mean, get, being our 12th man at home, really pushing us with energy and intensity. They've been amazing this this year. Our front office works their butt off to, to connect with our community uh, and our fan base. And then look and with the players uh, and the families. And so and our academy, like we've invested in our academy. We have a very competitive, one of the top academies in the country with young players coming through. That's investment. Look, facilities are going to, I think, with time, going to keep improving. And investment's going to keep improving with time. But not just us, the league. That's the way. That's natural. But, you know, I'm really proud of who we are and what we represent. 
the city, this team, uh, and our stadium, you know, and yeah, can, with time, it's going to need updates for sure. And and I've got, we've all got ideas for that and opinions about that, but let's, we, I embrace uh, so much of, of who we are and what this team is and this club is. And, uh, and, and we want to keep that going this year, man. You know, Lucci, uh, you were part of Greg Berhalter's coaching staff uh, at the World Cup uh, with the U.S. men's national team. I'm curious, did you get a chance to see the games this window? And if you did, earlier in the show, I said they went from the worst 45 minutes I've seen under Greg Berhalter to the best 45 minutes in the next game I've seen from Greg Berhalter. Can you tell me what you saw? Look, if there's anything I know from Greg uh, and the teams he coaches and the staff that he leads is they're, they're going to be very well prepared. There's going to be intentions, uh, very clear intentions with, without the ball. And look, the, and that's the intention. And, and, and whatever happens, they're going to learn from it. And then here's what, here's what I know. He responds. He and the teams he coaches, they respond. And what I saw from the team is an amazing response in that first half against Ghana. Uh, and that was an amazing core value that I learned from him and my experience with him and the national team. Coach, have you seen a change in how the national team plays from when you were there? Because I think what a lot of fans are pointing to is that there does look to have been somewhat of an evolution, uh, certainly with the formation changing. Some of that is due to the fact that Tyler Adams isn't around, but certainly we saw it in the CONCACAF Nations League against Mexico. And then in that game against Ghana, when you got that 4-2-3-1 out there, this U.S. team looks really dangerous going forward. I agree. You know, I, I think it's all about understanding your personnel and your players. And we had to do that in that last uh, cycle, right, leading up to the last World Cup. So now you've got players that are in the roster that that, that were not there before. Valigan, you know, Gio is having uh, health and, and, you know, and he's a, he's available and, and at a high level for this team. And, and thankfully, because he's he's got creativity and and there you're learning. He's learning, you know, Chris Richards and my. Miles Robinson weren't available last World Cup because of their, you know, injury. So, like, the personnel, you talked about Tyler Adams. It's about adapting to those guys. And, yeah, based on the personnel that's available and that's evolving and up and coming, I think this team is super excited and, and they've yet to show their, their best. And they're on, they're on a good way. They learned a good lesson with Germany, but they're certainly on their way to, to be the best version of this group. And you're going to see more young players get more opportunities in the next few years. So it's it's exciting. Lucci Gonzalez, former assistant with the U.S. men's national team, now manager of the San Jose Earthquakes. Lucci, good luck this weekend. An all-or-nothing game against Austin FC. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. All the best. All right, so Lucci Gonzalez and the San Jose Earthquakes playing the final games of their regular season along with everybody else in MLS this weekend. However, this weekend, Herc, marks the beginning of the postseason in a couple other leagues that we cover, USL, and the NWSL. So we are breaking out the brackets here for this edition of Book It. You have been tasked with picking the USL playoffs, which is no small task. So why don't you walk us through your bracket over there? All right, we'll go with the Eastern Conference first. As you can see, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, who were number one overall, not just in the East, but overall undefeated in the last eight games. They're going to play against Detroit City, who they just played a frustrating 0-0 draw. So I'm going to have them advancing. I'm going to go Memphis. I'm sorry. Are our boys still in Memphis? Maybe, maybe not. No, we're going to go with Louisville City there. Charleston Battery. <laughs> Come on, Barajas. He's going to be on the show soon. I'm going to go with Barajas okay. uh, and Charleston there. And then 
Tampa Bay Rowdies and Birmingham Legion. This is the third time in the last four years that they're gonna meet in the postseason. So interesting matchup there. I am going to take our friends in Tampa. And this is pretty easy to me. I'm gonna stick with Pittsburgh. They've been the best team in the regular season over Louisville. I'm sorry to my friends in Louisville. Charleston Battery, I am sorry. The road ends here. We're gonna go with Tampa. So we got a good <laughs> showdown. Tampa versus Pittsburgh. But let's go. I'll go to the West. Let's go to the West. Yeah, let's go wow. to the West. Okay. No respect for Louisville City. What are you talking about? No respect for Louisville City. Listen, I'm going with a lot of high seeds here because they've earned it. Sacramento, you know what Sacramento means to me. Row, 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 row. And Sacramento is actually the second best team in the regular season in USL. The best defensive team, only given up 26 goals, by the way. So reigning Open Cup finalists. Reigning Open Cup finalists. They will advance. Uh, San Antonio, Colorado Springs. This is going to be a rematch of last year's Western Conference Final first round. This may be the trickiest game of them all. I am sticking con mis amigos in San Antonio. Let's see if they can pull it off. Uh, San Diego Loyal. They said, bury us with the cup. So guess yes. what? They are advancing. They will advance to face off against Orange County. My friends, I'm gonna do my best to be there this weekend. I don't know, I can't guarantee you. It's far, it's in the Irvine. It's in the producer Beto's gonna go. I got kids, I'm sorry. All right, Sacramento, San Antonio. Sacramento, you're going to the Western Conference Final and in San Diego Loyal versus Orange County. San Diego's actually a very well-balanced team. Alejandro Guido, Joe Benny Corona, I did not forget about you. Go on to the Western Conference Final and then Sac Republic versus San Diego Loyal. San Diego wants to be buried with the cup. Do it, Herc. It may be a cup of coffee because they ain't making it to this final. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sacramento is going on to the final. I will have in the final the two best teams in the mm -hmm. league, the two best defenses in the league, the second best defense and the best defense in the league in the final, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds versus Sacramento Republic. You know what they say? Defense wins championships. Two very good defending mm -hmm. teams. And did I mention that Pittsburgh's not lost in like the last eight? So they're picking Shout up. Shout out Bob Lilly. Yeah, Shout Bob out the Lilly manager, Bob right Lilly. There. Yeah, yeah. He's got a very good team. So uh, it would be an interesting matchup. Wow. Look at you. All right. So you got Riverhounds, Sacramento Republic in the final. Who do you have winning it? I got Sacramento. There Can it I tell is. you something there about these is. two teams? They've only played each other twice in their history, okay? First game, 1-1. Second game, 0-0. In Sacramento and in Pittsburgh, no winners. So expect a very, very stingy game. I can't believe you went, went against Louisville City, our good friend Danny I Cruz. I, I mean, they're, I'm they're, sorry. You know, I'm sorry, Danny. They're basically fixtures in the conference final. But look at you uh, going out on a limb. So Pittsburgh, Sacramento. Yeah, going out on a limb with Sacramento. Says, in the USL Championship uh, final. Okay, so that's the USL bracket. What about the National Women's Soccer League? Cool. All right, much simpler, much simpler. Fewer teams, less headaches. Okay, so let's acknowledge who kind of gets the buys first, right? San Diego and Portland, because they finished in the top two there straight through to the semifinals. So we'll focus on the quarters. We got Gotham FC against the North Carolina Courage. Now, I didn't think North Carolina would even be here. I thought the Washington Spirit were gonna beat North Carolina and grab one of these six spots. My Washington Spirit couldn't. North Carolina got the victory in D.C., so they get the three seed. But I got to tell you, I think Gotham FC is the team that's going to get the win here. One, they got they got a front three you don't want no part of. Okay, they got Esther Gonzalez, who, of course, was part of Spain's uh, World Cup winning side. And then you got midge person Lynn Williams. And you got Allie Krieger right now, who's trying to keep her career going. So I think Gotham FC, they win in the quarterfinal over North Carolina Courage. Ooh. Other quarterfinal. Ooh. This one was tough. 
this one was tough. Angel City, man, I know you were at the game. I watched the game. They put a five on Portland. That is convincing. But I got to think, you know, maybe Portland was just, maybe they were looking ahead to the playoffs. Maybe their heads weren't quite in it. Maybe Angel City was a little bit more motivated. And I think O.L. Reign at home at Lumen Field, they're going to have a big crowd. They're going to be motivated. And Megan Rapino doesn't want it to be her last game. And we know Megan Rapinoe is nothing if not clutch. So I got her and O.L. Reign advancing past Angel City. The semifinals here, pretty straightforward for me up top. Portland Thorns going to beat Gotham FC. I think Portland has proven throughout the regular season um, that they're the better of the teams between those two. O.L. Reign, San Diego, fascinating. I think they played four times this season. It's kind of between regular season and Challenge Cup, you got to kind of add it up. I think O.L. Reign won all four. Wow. I think San Diego won once. But the San Diego waiver due. Plus, we know on November 5th, they're going to be playing in Snapdragon Stadium at home. So I think San Diego way finally get a victory over OL Reign there. That means they will meet the Portland Thorns in the final. And at home on November 11th, Herc, I'm going with Alex Morgan. I'm going with Naomi Gurma. I'm going with Abby Dahlkemper. I'm going with Jaden Shaw. And I'm going with the San Diego wave to lift the cup. Tell me I'm wrong. It's a good bet. It's a good bet that, listen, Angel City's lost once in the last, like, 14 games. You're going against them. I know that, I know that oh, rain, it's a big Seattle crowd, but Angel City's used to playing it against or with big crowds, so could be something there, man. I think they'll be, I don't think it'll be as cut as dry as one versus two, I'll tell you that. I know. I went a lot of chalk there, which, which I hate to do, but, uh, but I did have it. San Diego uh, and Portland, the two teams atop the table, meeting in the NWSL championship. All right. A lot of the players involved in the NWSL playoffs, are, they'll be part of the U.S. women's national team that was just called in by the interim manager, Twyla Kilgore, for games against Columbia October 26th in Utah and October 29th in San Diego. A couple of key returnees here, Becky Sauerbrunn and Sophia Smith, are both back. A couple teenagers in this roster, the aforementioned Jaden Shaw and Olivia Moultrie of Portland. 25 of the 27 players in this group play in the NWSL. Lindsey Horan, me official, the two exceptions. 17 of the players called in are, as of today, still alive in the NWSL playoffs. Again, the games against Columbia, October 26th and October 29th. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... 
Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. They are the latest club to burst onto the American soccer scene. In fact, you saw me wearing their gear on Monday's show, Sharktopus FC. They play out of a men's recreation league in Seattle, and right now they are charging through the U.S. Open Cup qualifying rounds. A a couple more wins, actually, and there's a potential for a dream matchup against the Seattle Sounders of Major League Soccer. They got a game this coming Saturday against Inter San Francisco, 10 a.m. They're at Interbay Stadium in Seattle. That's the third qualifying round of the U.S. Open Cup. And thrilled to welcome into the show Kwame Apia. He plays for Sharktopus FC, but some of our viewers may know him more from Love is Blind Season 4 <laughs> on Netflix, which apparently is just like Herc's favorite show in the world. So he's going to, Herc is going to lead the charge on the Love is Blind questions. But Kwame, welcome to Football Americas, man. Really great to have you. Yes, thank you all for having me. I'm very excited to be here. All right, so like I said, Herc is the Love is Blind fan. He's going to lead the lead the charge on those questions. But I'm a soccer guy, Kwame, so I want to know kind of your soccer uh, story. Before you make it to Sharktopus FC, tell us a little bit about your career, because I was reading, th- did I see there was a stint in, in Sweden somewhere? And then some of the, some of the kind of <laughs> uh, lower leagues here in the United States. I'm sure you got quite a journeyman's tale. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll make it quick and succinct. So uh, I started playing soccer super late at about, what, 16, I was a junior in high school. Um, And yeah, from there, fell completely in love with the sport, but did not know I'd go anywhere with it, but had a fantastic senior year. Got asked to go to uh, Goldie Beacom College, which is a little D2 school in Delaware. Once I finished my college career, thought, you know what, I'm gonna go work in corporate. Uh, But luckily, um, a league was starting around uh, called the ASL, which was on the East Coast. And so I said, hey, I'll go try out and see what happens. And at the time we were having, I think we had maybe 250 trialists and they were looking for about six players. And I got really, really fortunate. Matt Driver, who was heading up the whole organization and team at the time, Philadelphia Fury, he walks up to me, he says, hey, you want to play for us? And I said, hey, I'd love to play for you. And so from there, uh, kept the soccer dream alive, went to Iceland on vacation, ended up playing with the team. Another team saw me and said, hey, come play with us for a little bit. From there, I went to Latvia and then eventually ended up in Sweden. So it was kind of a lucky tale, to be honest with you. But it was one of those things where one team and one decision kept the hope alive, you know. Tell them, tell them about Latvia, Kwame. No, I'm just kidding. Let's not go to the Latvia <laughs> tales, right? <laughs> Latvia uh, nightlife. How do you connect it at Sharktopus FC? Because if you watch the show, it brought you to Seattle. When do you decide, like, all right, I, I want to keep playing? How do you get connected to Sharktopus FC? Yeah, so I come to Seattle to start our filming. Um, you know, our um, the moment where we move in together, you know, if you know the show at all. And um, one of the guys on the team, actually our keeper, Jimmy Ford, he asked me to, uh, to just come play with the team that he plays with while I'm here and filming and not knowing what I'm going to do with my life. And I said, you know, hey, I'll come play with you guys. So I played with them my first Sunday in Seattle. I thought, wow, these guys are good. And uh, the manager, Leo, asked me, would you want to stick around? I said, hey, I'm currently in Seattle just for work. So I might be leaving because, you know, you can't give away the secrets. Um, and yeah, I played with them 
game went really well and I was here for about three weeks before deciding I was going to stay in Seattle and over that three weeks I think we won a championship uh in that league and I thought wow this is this is the team to play for if I stick in Seattle and so I remember the day before my wedding day I texted Leo and I said hey man I'm gonna be sticking around go ahead and uh sign me on all right look at that you know when you're getting hitched it's not just to a to a partner it could be to a team yeah. as well. So let's talk about this game on Saturday. Huge, huge game on Saturday. You're playing at International San Francisco. It's the third qualifying round uh, of the U.S. Open Cup. It's at Interbay Stadium. Anybody in the Pacific Northwest, uh, if you're near Seattle, get to Seattle, Washington for this game. It's a 10 a.m. start, so early in the morning out there uh, on the West Coast. Kwame, what kind of level are we talking about here? And then what kind of atmosphere can, can people expect? Like, is it going to be a good time watching Shark to Puss FC? If I'm going to a Shark to Puss FC game, I figure I'm, I'm in for a good time, right? <laughs> You're in for a great time. You know, the atmosphere is fantastic. One tradition we keep going is our uh, our fans wear pink because our original color was pink. And, you know, as you've seen, our kind of breakthrough must-have kit is pink. And so, yeah, we have a, an awesome tradition going. People show up. People are lively. The, the fans, the atmosphere is really great. And I will say, like, the level of soccer you're going to see is pretty amazing as well. Like, I'm definitely, like, very honored to be on this team. It's a bunch of scrappy, uh, incredible, like, technical and talented players. So I think you're going to see a great game. I think you're going to see a scrappy game all the way down to the end. And, um, you know, hopefully Shaktipus puts another win in there and then we, uh, we'll talk from there. It, those kits are fire, by the way, Kwame. Hey, listen, uh, Jimmy Ford, who you mentioned, uh, the goalkeeper, he was in Love is Blind as well, but his, like, story arc didn't actually make the final cut. It's one of those mm. things I'll tell you about later, uh, Sebi. Listen, okay. you guys are two <laughs> wins away from playing the Seattle Sounders, a Seattle on Seattle game. I mean, for a bunch of you guys that have played soccer your whole life, a few guys have made it to the show, whether domestically or abroad, like what would it mean to play the Sounders for you guys? Man, it would mean the world to us. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because throughout our season, we would go to Sounders games together, right? We'd all show up, we'd all cheer for the Sounders, we'd all have our Sounders kits on. And so just being part of that atmosphere, seeing that level and seeing the players that we look up to who get to do this for a living, being in that same even like bracket, even in some way, some comparison, even if it's not something we're going to be doing on a long term or consistent, consistent basis, just getting that one chance to do it would really mean the world to the team. I know that for sure. The guys will be talking about it for the rest of their lives. It's one of those moments where when it does happen for you, you make sure that you talk about it to all of your friends, all of your family. So it would really mean the world to us. And I think that that's, that's our aim. That's our goal is that we're showing up every single game to make sure we're making it to the next game. And when we get to that game, that's when we're going to know all of our hard work's paid off. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Seb, you know I'm a reality junkie. Like when it comes to reality TV, I'm a junkie. Love is blind, back to blind date in the 90s. Like, I've seen it all. Can I just, for a brief second, can we unpack what Love is Blind is for Sebi? Because sure, my man yeah. right now is doing diapers. So imagine speed <laughs> dating and you can't see who you're trying to date. Okay? You can't see a potential partner. And mm. then they increment the time and you're in pods. Mm -hmm. And eventually you land on your chosen partner. And the deal is you could either get engaged or not. Okay, without seeing your partner. Okay, you we gotten that far? Got okay, it. yeah. All right, we go. So, Kwame, my question to you is, 
Once you finally get to see your partner, once you finally make the biggest decision in your life, you're gonna get engaged, you're gonna get married, you get to see your partner, you get thrown into the real world. You're both in Seattle. What's the most difficult part about being thrown into the real world with your now mm. Chelsea beautiful partner? Yeah, uh, it's gotta be integrating our lives together in every way, right? Because when you come together, it's not just, uh, hey, now you, know, you get to both live at your own places and slowly build up like you do in real life, right? When you start dating someone, it takes you, I don't know, anywhere from six months to a year to move in together to figure out how you can integrate. And with Love is Blind, it's just, we woke up <laughs> and it was flight back to Seattle and it was go grab everything that you own, bring it into this house and live together. So all of your furniture decisions, your closets, the way that you structure things, the streaming networks on your TV, all of that happens in, in you know, in the flash, you know, in, a, in the blink of an eye. And so, yeah, the crazy quick integration of life is, it's shocking, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely worth it. You know? <laughs> Herc, you think I don't know about reality television, but I have the voicemails that prove this. I was almost on The Bachelor about a decade ago, but do you know, do you know why they, they ended up not choosing me? Height? Height. <laughs> Literally, I was talking to the producer. Great conversation. She's loving me. Is it and she real? goes, How tall are you? I said, 5'9, crickets on the other <laughs> end of the phone. I guess. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, Kwame, last question for you. Uh, more mm. pressure or more nerves before a game or before a taping of Love is Blind? <laughs> Depends on when. I will say, so two part. Um, the pressure and the nerves before any game, especially in the US Open Cup, I would say very, very high, like very, very high. But the highest pressure and nerve moment ever, maybe in my entire life, top three for real, is the reveal moment of Love mm -hmm. is Blind when you first get to see your partner on the other end. You are just shaking in your boots the whole time. So anytime someone asks me about nerves and love is blind, that's the number one thing. And I've asked every cast member and they said, yeah, without a doubt, that's one of the most nerve wracking moments in their entire life. <laughs> Made it through that. U.S. Open Cup third qualifying <laughs> round shouldn't be a problem then. There it is, Kwame uh, Apia of uh, Love is Blind. Herc, you got uh, one last question for us here? No, I just noticed he's wearing a Chelsea jersey. Is that for your wife or are you really a Chelsea fan? <laughs> you know, I've, I've been a Chelsea fan for ever since I supported the game. And we have an inside joke. When we were in the pod, she told me that her dad, who was a big, avid soccer fan, uh, she told me that he named her after the, the soccer team. And oh. so that's kind of what I knew. That's kind of what I knew. Nothing to do with my Glassian, because I know you're name. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But yeah, big Chelsea fan in both ways. There he is. Uh, Kwame Apia, great to have you with us here on Football Americas of Sharktopus FC. Good luck on Saturday against International San Francisco in the third qualifying round of the U.S. Open Cup. Thank you all so much. So grateful to be here. Appreciate you all. What a show, Herc, here as we uh, continue on on a Thursday night. Parting shot, Michael Bradley announcing his retirement at the end of the season. The 36-year-old Kavanaugh, a 19-year pro career. He's been with TFC since January of 2014. Of course, won an MLS Cup with them in 2017. Made his U.S. debut, Herc, in 2006. 17 goals, over 151 caps for your former teammate, Michael Bradley.
Yeah, a legendary career. I mean, some people have a short memory. They don't remember how good this guy actually was and how important he was for the U.S. men's national team. Will go down as one of the all-time greats to wear this jersey. And I am completely, completely still thinking that a lot of people use this man as a scapegoat for a failed World Cup bid. And it's unfortunate because he's much more than that. In fact, he was one of the best players in national team history. If you look at his position, defensive midfielder, he could step into any generation of the U.S. men's national team, including today's, and start. Uh, I was in Cuba the night that you referenced that the U.S. failed to qualify for the World Cup. I said at the time that it would definitely affect uh, his legacy. I think it does. I think people will remember that as part of his career, but we got to remember all the clutch moments. You think of him as a defensive midfielder, Herc. This guy scored some some big goals. He scored in the Confederations Cup. He scored in the World Cup. He scored in the Gold Cup final. I think most U.S. fans will probably say their favorite moment was the chip over memo uh, at the Azteca. Do you have a favorite Bradley moment? Could be a goal or maybe just something between you guys in the locker room. It's his uh, World Cup goal because uh, I was uh, indirectly involved with and the whole time I'm trying to chase the man down to celebrate and he's like uncatchable. But it's one of those uh, moments that will ever be intertwined with me. Um, and it's one of the fondest moments I've ever had in my life was playing that World Cup and he was definitely a massive part of that. Great uh, European career. Got it done in uh, the Dutch League, the German League, the Italian League. Played Premier a little League. bit uh, in England as well. Yeah. Uh, and started his career with the Metro Stars. That's how long Michael Bradley uh, has been doing it. So that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sevi Salazar. We will see you on Monday for a full recap of MLS Decision Day, as well as all the playoff action from NWSL, USL, and all of our CONCACAF abroad uh, in Europe. Oh, Sachi. Yeah. Oh, Sachi.